Adult content intended for an adult audience only as this contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of this story is purely fiction and not intended for anything but the enjoyment of the listener. If you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out. What Were You Thinking? by Lifestyle66 I opened the remote camera app of the wildlife command along the driveway of our vacation house. The small pics for the initial image of each motion-activated video showed some of the usual traffic in the driveway over the past month. I scrolled down the list of videos, recognizing the obvious ones, squirrels or deer wandering through, our oldest daughter and her family arriving and departing last weekend, and a delivery truck with the video showing the driver setting a package on the front porch, probably something my wife ordered from Amazon. Before I closed the camera's app watching that driveway, I noticed in the small real-time image as a car arrived about 15 minutes too early. But I recognized this car and the driver. So I paused, watching as things unfolded on my tablet computer. 20 minutes later, I just sighed and closed that camera app. After taking a sleep aid, I poured another drink before starting the next episode of my latest sci-fi series. An hour later, the episode was done, the sleep aid was taking effect, and I went to bed, soon falling into a sound sleep as I contemplated how we got here. Prologue in the Beginning When Janet, Jan, and I were younger, we dated exclusively for three years starting late as 18-year-old seniors in high school and through two years of community college. We took some breaks in our exclusive relationship when I went away to a university, and we reconnected during the summer between school years. She didn't have any other serious boyfriends while I was gone finding other guys to be too deceptive, too clingy, or just unsatisfying. So, we dated again for those few months before I had to return to school, and we again parted as friends going our separate ways. We both enjoyed some wild times with others during those years of college separations. But after some close calls with STDs, jealous spouses, and other unexpected events with strangers, we finally got back together when I completed my degree program. It seemed we both found it tiresome dealing with others with their emotional dramas and deceptions, and we decided to settle down together, because we understood each other. It wasn't my plan to get married, but Jan sort of directed me to propose to her or she'd cut me off from sex. So, looking at my options, I made the only logical choice. Dating several different women in college, I found they all seemed to need some emotional connection after sex or were playing some kind of mind games, which I couldn't understand. Geek that I am, those feelings just weren't in my upbringing, and I couldn't anticipate what they expected in their games. My mother was a serious woman, raised in an orphanage, and my dad was rarely around, working two jobs about six days per week. Even when he was around, dad just never talked much and in our rural neighborhood, there weren't any other kids my age. So, I grew up as a loner, until I hooked up with January. My girlfriend's mother had a nervous breakdown after being involved in a car accident with her son, Jan's older brother, who died as she was trapped next to him until the rescuers arrived. So, Jan went through her teenage years almost alone at home. Jan was also a social outcast in school, due to her take-charge attitude from her home life causing friction with the more popular A-listers. She had a run-in with the head cheerleader in high school, with those, mean girls, managing to get this cute girl blacklisted from dates with any other guys in our small school. Jan eventually latched onto me as a fellow outcast, and we've been together ever since. We were both 18-year-old virgins when we got together in our senior year of high school, due to the social issues among our peers, and both of us having to repeat a grade in elementary school for different reasons. I found out later Jan's best friend, Marlene, a neighbor from the farm behind her house, challenged Jan to get a date. So, this cute take-charge girl I was tutoring in math one day just blurted out, You're taking me to the prom, so get used to the idea. And rent a tux. 
Jen didn't play mind games, always being very direct in telling me what she expected. I was a social loner, and oblivious enough to bluntly ask. If I rent a tux, what's in it for me? You know I don't want to be around those others at a dance. And with such bluntness, I managed to negotiate a few dates with her for us to change that virgin issue. Again, that was her take-charge choice when, on our third date, she announced. I'm not waiting any longer. You're going to fuck me. And I was smart enough to not debate that with her. Later, after dating other women while away at college, I realized Jan's attitude towards sex was unique. In our sexual explorations together, we both learned to try controlling each other. I found it interesting that I could make her legs shake in an orgasm. Sex with her was almost like my ham radio hobby, fine-tuning the controls until I found the signal I wanted. Most of our early sexual learning sessions were in a local park, where I found a secluded spot deep in a grove of mountain laurel bushes. That became such an iconic setting, when we had the money later in life, we purchased a rural mountain house retreat for family vacations. And I recreated our favorite picnic spot for times when my wife and I were there without the kids. Jan seemed to find it empowering that she could take the energy out of me and watch my dick deflate, then she chuckled at the fact she could handle more after I was spent. And she's not into cuddling after she orgasms with the big one. Like most women, even saying to me, Okay, I'm done. You can get off me now. And pour another glass of wine for me. Did I mention she's rather controlling? After I proposed and during our subsequent 30 years together, Jan picked up a new hobby, flirting with other guys. I realized flirting was just another aspect of her controlling nature, trying to see if she could manipulate men with just a few touches or comments. Teasing the men around her became a sporting event to her, with her goal of trying to encourage a visible hard-on in their pants. She was focused on staying in shape to facilitate her sport. I benefited from her hobby by having a gorgeous, sexy wife. Of course, my controlling bitch insisted I stay in shape too as her, arm candy, with the normal wifely control mechanism of threatening to cut me off from sex if I didn't comply. If I forgot to exercise for a few weeks or control my diet, she'd suddenly say, I'm not going down on you until you lose that Buddha belly. So, for the potential blowjobs, I'll lift some weights and do a few sit-ups. During our years together, I remained an emotionally dysfunctional, aka clueless, geek. But I never worried about her cheating on me with her flirting targets, for several reasons. First, Jan talks incessantly, and blurts out to me everything which is on her mind. If she's thinking about something, she will say it to whoever is willing to listen. So, I trusted she'd soon tell me if she were thinking of fucking another guy. Or at least if she did fuck another guy, she couldn't keep it a secret. And second, she is controlling, always telling me what I should do, obviously to appease her. And she'll point out sexy young women to me, saying, In your dreams, to tease me. But she forbids me to follow through to pursue them. Leveraging her controlling nature, I'll tell her she can fuck that handsome waiter, but if she does, all controls are then off. I'll definitely do it with another woman, too. And Jan was apparently jealous at any mention of a woman I dated in college, Brenda, who Jan referred to as that gangbang slut. No, I'm not just someone my wife can order around all the time. I have my limits, and she knows it. And her ordering me to stay in shape backfires on her in that regard, because I've told her of several women who have offered me options, including Brenda, when I bumped into her at the mall a few months ago. So, Jan and I have stayed together mainly due to our mutual, almost insatiable desire for sex, and not wanting to bother with the emotional turmoil of breaking in another partner to tolerate our dysfunctional quirks. We satisfy each other's needs. Intro the Lifestyle A few years ago, we were enjoying dinner at our house with an older, fun-loving couple we knew when the subject of sexual boredom came up. They told us about their discreet swinger lifestyle with other couples to enjoy the newness of a different partner, while remaining married. The major problem to overcome would be if one or the other of a couple feels jealous. Our friends refused to swap with us that evening, not wanting to jeopardize our friendship. So, after Jan and I reminisced about our younger, wilder days, and enjoyed a risque romp with the other couple fucking our spouse in front of each other, we soon decided to explore their swinger lifestyle. This seemed like a logical choice to relieve our sexual boredom, while avoiding those emotional entanglements dating others would surely bring. When hooking up with other couples, we could now fuck em and leave em, just enjoying the sex as we do with each other. And Jan and I have remained together. We both always saw our sex together as a physical relief, almost like asking your spouse for a back rub. Jan might say, 
My neck is stiff. Could you rub my shoulders? I could as easily say to Jan. I need a blowjob. She wouldn't be offended and might do it, or she might reply. Well, I'm not feeling it. But if you can get it up, I'll bend over, and you can fuck me from behind. I may be mostly clueless, but after so many experiences meeting people over the years, I know most people don't think like Jan and me. We knew if any of our friends or work colleagues found out about our new lifestyle, it might result in some negative, judgmental consequences. We thought it wouldn't be fair if one of us was seen by a friend or neighbor when out with another play partner. Whether seen just having dinner and dancing or going into a hotel with someone other than our spouse, it might cause the other one a problem at work, or at least ridicule from some of our common friends. So, we agreed we'd only play around with others when we're together, since we'll both then share the same risk. We also mostly like watching each other when we're with other couples at house parties. I did give Jan a hall pass once for sex alone with a guy she was lusting for, to play in bed in a one-on-one situation. But that was in a different room in the same house. It wasn't really cheating, since I could have fun with other women there or could have gone in to watch them. And we've had some interesting times at these house parties and swinger get-togethers at bars or restaurants. In her job at an accounting firm, my wife worked together closely with another woman, Celia, for over a year. We were at one of the meetups, when Jan ran into Celia and her husband, with Jan briefly panicking as she wondered how to explain being there. Then she realized that Celia and her husband were in our same group as swingers. My wife usually dictates rules for the two of us just before we go to those parties. Her same room, rule is for us to only play together with others when we're together, because she enjoys watching me as I fuck other women. But it doesn't bother me if she breaks that rule, because I have only one rule between us, no double standards. I've made it very clear to her that when she breaks her rules, then I will, too. At the end of the day, I'm always going to bed with the same gorgeous woman I've lived with for the last 30 years. She always takes care of my sexual needs, so I've become very accustomed and tolerant of her bitching ways. Ours might not be the hand-holding, fawning, cuddling, jealously protecting love others claim to feel. But it works for us. Friends with Benefits Jan and I settled into our swinger lifestyle by finding a few groups on a website to meet people. Then after attending a few house parties for some playtime with others, we've settled down to enjoying get-togethers with our favorite couples who we both find compatible. By sticking to other couples for our extramarital sex, it keeps us both involved together and reduces the risks of any emotional entanglements. One of the regular house parties we attend about every three months does have a few single men and women. But the hosts have vetted them to reduce any chance of any of them getting too attached to a husband or wife. That could cause potential drama at their future parties and most people in this lifestyle would avoid their party, if that occurs. My rather odd memory ability allows me to relate these anecdotes, because I can't forget anything I've read, heard, or seen. I know that old adage, forgive and forget, which some people use. But I always thought that rather odd. Even my wife repeatedly telling her mother to forget about the accident which killed Jan's older brother seemed odd to me. In my mind I was thinking it happened, so how could she forget it? I've found the only way to get along in life is to accept it and move along. So, after years together, Jan's attitude now is get over it when faced with anything which didn't go quite right. And my attitude, even when watching another guy fucking my wife as it happened. And her pussy's still there for me later, as I fuck another woman at the same party. It's like that old song from 1970 by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, which I think they cleaned up for radio. If you can't be with the one you love, fuck the one you're with. As swingers, we're both having fun sex with others we find at the house parties, but we're together in the same house when doing it. Another fun evening. Sunday afternoon, we attended a monthly swinger bar meetup at a nearby restaurant. We like meeting other couples in relatively public settings, getting to know other interesting couples we find, then go home afterwards to see if we both agree we like them. These meetups give us a chance to expand our friends with benefits list for future fun. We didn't find any new couples at this meetup. Jan was just her normal talkative self, socializing with everyone we already knew there. Arriving back home that evening, Jan and I showered to relax in the living room with glasses of wine, as we sat in our usual separate swivel chairs. I was talking to Dan at the meetup, Jan said, and he said he and Maggie will send out an invite to their next party in two months. Have you added that to our calendar? I asked. Of course. She replied. I know how much you like Maggie. And I like watching you two together. 
Maggie is one of my favorite swinger wives. Besides being attractive, she seems to enjoy just the right amount of hugging and kissing foreplay with me to get me excited. And she likes teasing her husband with her sexual antics during the parties, doing her best to show him cum shots she's taken to give him a reason to spank her afterwards. At their last house party, at the end of the evening Maggie strolled into their kitchen naked with some guys come running down her thigh to tease her husband. Dan told his wife to go back upstairs and clean herself, then he'd be along to warm her ass. After she went upstairs, he turned to me saying, If you want, go ahead and finish with her again, Ted. I'll give you twenty minutes before I come up to spank her. It's their playful kink, but I don't judge. They've been doing it for decades together, so it seems to work for them. I wondered if Jan had anyone specific in mind she wanted at their next party. I know she enjoys playing with Dan, but he seems a little tame for her when she's really in the mood at these parties. Jan's latest favorite is a guy named Roger she met at their party that last time a few months ago. He's divorced and attends these couples-only parties with a lesbian friend. Jen told me she was flirting with a guy at an airport bar the day before that party, when she returned from a business trip. Then she was surprised to meet him at Dan and Maggie's party that next evening. She first introduced me to Roger when I was busy fucking Maggie on the king-size bed beside them. After I finished with Maggie for the first time that evening, I stood beside Jan and Roger at the side of the bed watching them until he finally thrust deep into her, unloading his balls into my wife. Then I handed them a box of tissues to clean up. I talked to Roger alone after that, and he seems like a decent guy. Responding to Jan mentioning this new party, I asked. Did Dan mention any of the others they planned to invite? He didn't say. She replied. But I'm hoping he'll send it to all of their regulars. Like Roger? I asked. Hmm. Now there's a nice image. She replied. Without saying another word, Jan stood and walked over to the ottoman to get a blanket and one of her toys. She returned to cover her chair and stripped to sit on it. With her right leg thrown over the arm of the chair, she picked up the toy and started slowly playing with herself. I retrieved a second blanket to cover my chair, stripped, and started stoking myself as I turned to watch her. After two minutes, she slid off her chair to kneel and crawl over between my legs. She knelt there naked with those beautiful tits and legs visible between my knees and beyond my now almost hard cock. Her long auburn hair was pulled back in a ponytail, and her green eyes sparkled with mischievous excitement. My stroking while watching her play with her pussy had my member at a firm six inches long now, out of its full seven-inch length when hard. Jan wrapped her right hand around my cock. As she lowered her head toward it, she then stopped, tilting her head looking at it. I like that nice smooth head, she said as she touched it with her left hand. How do you want me to start? Sucking the head? Licking the shaft? Or licking your balls? Her left finger was sliding softly along as she emphasized each part. You could start by sucking it. She finished lowering her head toward my stiffening member as she used her hand to guide it into her mouth. Jan stopped with just the head fully enclosed between her lips, and I felt her tongue teasing the underside of it. Slowly she continued lowering her head down, the length of the shaft disappearing in her mouth until half of it was in. Her hand was still wrapped around the bottom half of the stiff shaft as her lips met her hand. She pulled her head back up until the tip was almost out of her mouth, then suddenly, and quickly dove down again, taking it back in. The first few head-bobbing motions were this quick down and slow withdrawal. Then her pace began evening out. She just bobbed her head down and up on me at a steady pace. At one point, Jan sat back to tilt her head so she could look up into my eyes, while keeping it in her mouth. I smiled in appreciation, and she looked back down to focus on her task at hand. Her right hand remained wrapped around the base, with her lips meeting her hand with each downward drop of her head. I noticed her other hand still held the toy at her clit, and I heard her begin moaning with her lips closed around my member. She was soon rocking her whole body as her head went down on it, and her hips rose off her toy, then she'd bounce back down onto the toy as she pulled her head up. Jan opened her mouth while continuing this bouncing, with her sounds changing to, Oh! 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 In time with her rocking. Jan pulled me out of her mouth and tried to stroke it as she closed her eyes and mouth, moaning loudly while her orgasm built. Then she started talking as her excitement grew with the fantasy she was imagining. That's it! Fuck me! Oh! Oh! Oh yes! Fuck me! I grasped my cock, freeing her right hand and she reached down with that hand to help the toy. 
I could tell she slipped two of her fingers into her cunt, shoving them in and out as she worked the vibrator around her clit. Feeling the pressure building up my shaft toward the head, I stood up from my chair to stand in front of her. I placed my left hand on the back of her head, and she opened her eyes to look up at me as I held my stiff shaft, pumping it in front of her. Jan sat back on her heels, and she tilted her head back. Still shoving her fingers in and out of her pussy, she opened her mouth and stuck out her tongue a little. Her eyes locked with mine, as I smiled down at her, then she closed her eyes and again moaned. Oh. 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 This was a sight I liked to see, my wife kneeling with her mouth open. Oh yes. That's it. Just like that. I said as I kept stoking my cock. I was giving her the cues so she knew what was coming. That's it. I'm getting very close. Oh, oh, ag. I let loose the first of several shots into her mouth, keeping my left hand on the top of her head as several waves continued pushing more of my spunk out. Jen just kept her mouth open while still moaning, with the tip of my cock shooting its load over her tongue. I could see the thick white fluid pooling behind her bottom teeth as it slid down from her tongue, and her head was tilted back enough to keep it from dripping out. When I finished wiping the purple head's last drop across her tongue, I dropped my left hand from her head. I wasn't really holding her there. She could have easily moved away at any time. But she seemed to be enjoying the moment, with her eyes closed, watching her own fantasy. Her body suddenly shook with her orgasm. Jan closed her mouth, swallowed, and ducked her head down as the spasms took over. I could see her thighs close a little as she squeezed her own hand between them. She knelt there for a minute until the waves subsided, and I saw her muscles relax. When she picked her head up, she turned her head and rotated it as if she were stretching out after an exercise. Then she looked up at me as she reached one hand to my chair for support, and I helped her up to stand in front of me. I wrapped my arms around her to pull her in close for a hug, then leaned down to kiss her cheek. Jan stepped back from me to retrieve her glass of wine, taking a mouthful, and swishing it around before swallowing to clear the cum taste. Well, you seem to enjoy that. I said. You brought yourself off with that one. Hmm. Oh, yeah. She replied in a satisfied tone. But I think I'm done for now. I'm just going to sit here and watch one of my chick flick series. Why don't you go downstairs to the TV in the basement for a sci-fi night? As she sat back on the blanket in her swivel chair and picked up the TV remote. Sci-fi night. As I've said before, my wife doesn't play games and is rather direct in telling me what she wants me to do. So, I pulled on my pants and left her to her chick flick, going to my man cave TV. I knew there was something going on in her mind which was a little out of the ordinary. But I trusted she'd blurt it out to me when she was ready. When I sat down in front of the basement TV, I put on my headphones, so she wouldn't be bothered by the sound of my program. About two hours later, when my movie ended, I took off the headphones, and I heard the TV upstairs with Jan's latest selection. But the woman's loud moans didn't seem to be from one of her chick flicks. I went upstairs and entered the living room to see the scene on the big screen. There was a young woman on her hands and knees in an MFM, with one guy fucking her from behind as the other guy fucked her mouth. My wife was still sitting in her chair, but with both legs spread open and hanging over the arms of her chair. She had both hands holding a large rabbit vibrator which she was aggressively thrusting in and out of her pussy, and she was staring at the TV with her mouth open and moaning. I just smiled at this live porn show and decided to return to my chair to sit and watch. But within a minute, Jan shifted her gaze from the TV to me, then back again. She paused with the vibrator, stopping her thrusts, and just twisted the vibrating ears around her clit for a few seconds, continuing to moan with sounds like, Oh, Ah. Uh, ah, oh, fuck. I'm just not getting there. She pulled the toy all the way out and laid it on a tissue before grabbing her glass of wine and collapsing back into her chair. Jan took a sip of wine then looked angrily at me, saying, You distracted me. And stop looking at me with that silly grin. I'm done for the night. If you weren't done earlier, I would have helped get you off. You should have called me from the basement. I just got tired of my series and put this on. Jan said. I didn't plan on getting so horny. It just happened. But now you've killed the mood. Jan tilted her wine glass back, emptying the glass in one large gulp, then put the glass down saying, I'm heading to bed. Good night. And she got up and left. By the time I went to the bathroom and got into bed, Jan was already there, had her back turned toward my side of the bed, and seemed to be asleep.
More tensions. The next evening, Monday after work, Jan was home from work an hour before me and was reading a paperback book in the living room when I arrived. She always reads books on her Kindle. So, as I walked through the living room, I glanced over her shoulder at the book and casually asked, What are you reading? Her reaction surprised me when she angrily snapped at me. Don't read over my shoulder. I was just curious and asked. There's no need to snap at me. Well, you interrupted my train of thought. I was in the moment, reading a love story scene. She returned to her reading for a few seconds as I stood there wondering why she was so short with me. Then she looked up again and harshly said, Stop hovering over me. I'll start dinner in a half hour. Go take a shower if you need something to do. Later at dinner, we were calmly talking about the swinger house party coming up in two months, and Jan asked me if I ever thought about spending a whole night with one of the other wives. You always tell me I know who I'm going home with. I pointed out. So, no, because they're all married too. Don't you ever think of spending the night with any of them? I have my memories from my college years, with the times I spent with others, like Brenda, who stayed over with me at my apartment a few times. We dated for months, and if my roommate wasn't around, she'd sleep over. I never want to see you with Brenda, Jan said sternly. But she was getting good at blowjobs. I finally broke up with her when she got pregnant by another guy from one of her gangbangs. She never told me about the gangbangs. And she knew the kid wasn't mine, so we split on friendly terms. You said you ran into her at the mall two months ago, Jan said. And she told you she's single now with her kids grown. I think she might want to get her claws back into you. I had a vasectomy ten years ago, so I can't get her pregnant. How could she get her claws into me? She doesn't know that. So you're not getting with that gangbang slut. She said as if drawing a line with a definite no. Whatever. I replied in exasperation. You asked if I ever thought about spending a night with another woman, and I told you. So, the short answer is no, you're all I need. Why did you ask? Do you want to spend a night with another guy? Well, sometimes you snore. She said, now sounding a little less cordial or friendly about it. And I like sleeping with more room on the bed when I'm away on a business trip. If you want me to sleep in another bedroom, just say so. We have plenty of rooms here and at the mountain house. She took a deep breath and sighed, letting the air out almost sounding like a growl. You'd still be here, snoring. And I'd hear you when you get up at night. So, you want me out of the house? I said calmly. But I thought there was something off with her replies. She wasn't answering the question about wanting a night with another guy. You can be stifling sometimes, with your constant hovering over me. Jen said in exasperation. Then she added, I need a weekend away. I'm going to the mountain house Friday evening with my romance novel and chick flicks. You can stay here and binge all weekend on your sci-fi programs. Okay. I replied, drawing that one word out. I don't need your permission. She said a little angrily. That's my house too, and I'm going there without you for the weekend. Okay. I said quickly, surprised at her reaction. I'll stay here to watch my sci-fi programs, and I'll see you Sunday evening. Oh, whatever. Was her angry retort, and she tossed her napkin on the table. Standing from her chair, she walked into the living room, where she sat on the couch instead of her usual swivel chair beside mine. She picked up her Kindle to read whatever book she had on it and made an obvious show of ignoring me. I just let it go, cleared the dining table, to spend the rest of the evening cleaning the kitchen in silence after dinner. Tuesday and Wednesday evenings were a little more normal with my wife. Tuesday was just dinner and a movie on TV, which we debated before finally agreeing on one, then we went off to bed. And Wednesday after dinner had Jan selecting a porn video, and we fucked on a blanket in front of the fireplace before bed. But Thursday, Jan seemed a little tense. My attempts to get her to talk, which usually takes no effort, only returned short responses from her. So, I thought I'd wait her out for her to eventually burst forth in a non-stop stream of words about what was bothering her. The Weekend Friday after work, Jan texted me just as I was leaving my office at the usual time. She said she was leaving our house at 5.30 for her weekend away. By then, I couldn't make it home in time to see her off, so, I stopped at a restaurant for a quick dinner alone before continuing home. Her behavior this past week was a little unusual, but I wasn't concerned. She acted this way a few times in the past, and it always turned out to be something with one of her friends at work which was bothering her. When they would tell her something in confidence, she would struggle, biting her tongue to keep it a secret from me. 
It would take her a few days of thinking before she would be ready to trust me with it. I knew one of Jan's co-workers has a sister who works for my company, and I see the sister several times each week. So, Jan might have some reason for not talking to me. And trying hard to silence her usual talkative nature would irritate her. The drive from our suburban house to the mountain retreat is never less than two hours. So, at seven o'clock, thirty minutes before she would arrive, I sat in my living room chair with a glass of scotch and opened my tablet computer to do a quick check of the remote house security. I used the remote utilities program to open an app giving me full screen control of my server at the mountain house. Until about a year ago, I used the remote desktop protocol, RDP, app to access the computer at that house. But this remote utilities gives me full control of my other computers, including the sound, when I've installed the client portion of the program on them. It's as if I'm sitting at the keyboard and screen on that remote computer. And it's more secure with the 20-character link names and lengthy passwords I use for these remote connections. Being a computer geek is what I do for a living, so setting all of this in place was very easy. The computer servers at both of our houses are there to store a collection of music and video files, without having to store DVDs and CDs at two locations. And those local copies come in handy when internet service is unavailable. And when I'm logged into that remote house server, I can access the security cameras on the front porch and deck, which have motion-activated recordings of anyone entering or leaving the house. A year ago, Jan heard from a neighbor that they enjoyed some videos from their wildlife camera in the mountains. So, she tasked me to set one up to see some of the life around our property there at night. I decided to set four of those cameras on the property to record motion around the outside of the house. And those cameras act as backups to the two security cameras on the doors. Anyone breaking into the often vacant house could shoot out those obvious door monitoring cameras before entering. But they would miss the camouflaged wildlife cameras in the tree line, which could get clear video of intruders coming down the driveway or from other angles as they broke in and I could remotely access those videos from a Wi-Fi connection on the local network to the server. The one woodland camera I had pointed toward the back deck could even see some of the activity in the large living room windows or bedroom, if an intruder were inside walking past the window. But the camera's distance from the house wouldn't show identifiable faces. Those face shots would be captured when they drove down the driveway or otherwise approached one of the cameras. A few months ago, one camera caught a good video late at night as a black bear climbed onto the deck and lumbered around our hot tub. Now a half hour before my wife was due to arrive alone at that remote location. I wanted to ensure she wasn't going to be surprised by anyone lurking inside or around the house. Checking the front porch camera, everything seemed to be undisturbed. Then accessing the deck camera, that door also looked secured. I opened the remote camera app of the wildlife command along the driveway of our vacation house. The small pics for the initial image of each motion-activated video showed some of the usual traffic in the driveway over the past month. I scrolled down the list of videos, recognizing the obvious ones, squirrels or deer wandering through, our oldest daughter and her family arriving and departing last weekend and a delivery truck with the video showing the driver setting a package on the front porch, probably something my wife ordered from Amazon. Before I closed the camera's app watching that driveway, I noticed in the small real-time image as a car arrived about 15 minutes too early. But I recognized this car and the driver. So I paused, watching as things unfolded on my tablet computer. Twenty minutes later, I just sighed and closed that camera app. After taking a sleep aid, I poured another drink before starting the next episode of my latest sci-fi series. The TV program was something mindless I had already seen. But the sound and video helped calm and distract me, which allowed me to continue thinking and planning. Then with a good idea of what to do with my weekend, the sleep aid was taking effect and I went to bed. The groggy feeling the next morning after taking a sleep aid always takes me an hour or two before I'm fully awake. And this Saturday morning I knew better than to take on a new project without a clear head. So, I followed my usual routines of making coffee and reading the news until about 10 o'clock. Then I opened a remote access to the Mountain House server and started selecting and downloading videos. An hour later... I drafted an email and sent it to an old friend. After I showered and dressed, I decided to spend the afternoon at a local winery, knowing some of our swinger friends sometimes drop in there. I didn't want to reach out to anyone in particular, but they were the type of friends I needed right now. Sunday morning was much the same, sleeping and then reviewing and selecting three more videos to download before heading to the golf course driving range for some practice. 
The tech consulting company where I work holds an annual charity event at a golf course, which is scheduled in two weeks, and the VP expects me to play. So, I practice a little ahead of time. The fresh air and focus on whacking the shit out of those little balls was good for me. I even had several drives out to 260 yards, and not even off to either side but straight down the middle where I aimed them. Then after a drink at the clubhouse bar, it was time to head home to shower and greet my wife when she returned. I know my weekend sounds like boring routines. But that's how I think. I'm not an excitable person. My mother raised us kids to be self-sufficient, and she was never excited about anything. When I was eight years old, I was climbing a tree and fell, breaking my arm. And my mother's attitude was just, Damn it! Now it's a trip to the hospital. Let's go and get this over with. So, nothing really phases me. It's all just life, and let's move along to the next decision or event. But I did select one of the videos from the door security cam showing Jen entering that house, and I transferred it to my cell phone for later. Confrontation It was about 9 o'clock Sunday evening when I heard the garage door open as my wife arrived. Going into the kitchen, I poured two glasses of wine, waiting for her to close the garage door and come inside. As she came in through the kitchen door from the garage, I couldn't help but admire the sparkle in her eyes when she saw me waiting for her, and I smiled. She came to me, wrapping her arms around me and I also pulled her close for a hug. Then I picked up a glass of wine, handing it to her, and said, You're looking relaxed? Let's go into the living room and you can tell me about your weekend. It was great, and I feel much better. She said then sipped her wine as we went into the living room, taking our usual place in our adjacent swivel chairs. That's good. I said without any hint of disapproval. You seem to be rather short with me lately, and I was wondering if we have a problem between us. No, she said calmly. There's no problem. I just needed some space. I'm sorry if you felt bothered with the way I was last week. So, you just needed to be away from me for a while? I asked, again calmly giving her a chance to elaborate. Did you spend any time at our favorite secluded spot in the woods for a picnic and sex? Jan's smile disappeared and she looked a little concerned. Why? Why would I go to that spot without you? Let's start over. What did you do this weekend? I asked cheerfully. Jan froze looking a little confused before saying, Do you think something's wrong? That's deflecting and didn't answer my question. I'll be a little blunt. How was your time with Roger? Who? She asked now looking surprised as well as confused. Why would you ask that? Again, not answering the question. How was your time with Roger, that guy you fucked at Maggie and Dan's party a few months ago? Jen hesitated a few seconds before answering. I saw him after that party at the airport, but I didn't do anything with him on that business trip. She insisted defensively. I told you about that when I returned. We just had drinks at the airport bar before our flight back here. You're obfuscating and trying to deflect. Picking up my cell phone, I opened the screen with the video stopped at the image of Jan unlocking the mountain house door. Roger was standing close behind her. As I handed her the phone, I said, I meant, how was your time with him this weekend? Did he just fuck you in the living room at the mountain house? Or did you sleep together in our bed there? And did he enjoy your blowjob in the hot tub? Hopefully you swallowed and didn't drip his cum into the water. I'm the one who has to clean that filter. But I tried to get across to Jen that we had a pact, those promises and vows we made to each other long ago. Those weren't just her temporary rules she dictates before a house party, conditions which I obeyed even when she doesn't. I don't really care about any of those other rules. Our pact to never lie to each other was the basis of unconditionally trusting each other. And all it took was one time for her to break that trust, and I'm incapable of ever forgetting the fact she did it. As I said, I still love my wife, and I prefer our routines. I don't like surprises. But she changed the standards of our relationship. Epilogue The next morning, my wife said she wanted to rebuild my trust in her by doing whatever she can to try fixing things between us. And the following Friday, she didn't even ask why I wanted to go to the mountain house for the weekend. She just solemnly nodded, understanding what I needed to do with no double standards. On Friday evening, I heard her car come down our driveway, and I opened the mountain house door to greet her. She looked awesome, wearing skin-tight jeans with stiletto heel black boots and a low-cut silk blouse, the type of outfit girls sometimes wore to nightclubs when I was in college. I'm glad you could make it, I said cheerfully as she stepped inside. Your email was certainly a welcome surprise. 
she said as we hugged. We have a lot of catching up to do. I hope you're up for it. Brenda replied to the email I sent last Saturday, and she said she was free this weekend and would love to get together to reminisce with me. I even considered asking her to make a video with me this weekend. But I remember Jan said she never wanted to see me with Brenda. So I'll settle for the wildlife cameras picking up the occasional telling glimpses. If Jan asks what I did when I return home Sunday, I won't be devious, deflecting questions or obfuscating. I'll spend the weekend loving the one I'm with. But I'll tell Jan all about it, with all the details, and give her copies of any incriminating video she wants, afterwards. After all, I don't want to be accused of having videos of her and Roger as a double standard. We'll see where things go from there. What were you thinking? Therapy. Intro. My mental clock was counting down the minutes and seconds until go. This seems almost like a final countdown to a rocket launch. The waiting this time just doesn't contain that same level of anticipation, with everyone hoping to watch the contraption climb forth to a successful mission. Although the confrontation which put me here might have seemed to some like a similar event with a growing rush of light, smoke and mirrors, and noise as things between us ignited. This countdown will end with us quietly walking in to take seats before an inquisitor. But just like a rocket launch, this countdown has a chance of ending in an explosive disaster. I anticipate the next hour will be enduring the quack's questions, with me providing answers. I'll be patient with his ignorance. In my mind, I fleetingly ponder, maybe that's where the word patient, in a doctor's context comes from. Patiently answering questions. But back in the moment, over the next hour, another person cannot reconstruct the lifetime of my experiences, which made me who I am. He'll focus on trying to learn some bits and pieces of how I think, as he recites some memorized list of questions his type thinks appropriate in this situation. But in just one second, my own mind shows me how to act, based on decades of my life's unique experiences. The mental image in my mind comes in a flash, like a camera bulb, illuminating the relevant memories. In the context of any one event before me in the moment, seemingly fleeting and almost inconsequential things sometimes take on epic proportions in that flash from my past. After the next hour, the counselor will be left still not knowing who I am, who we are, and what the fuck happened to us. He won't recognize his naivete, because the papers framed and displayed on his office wall have convinced him of his superior knowledge. And in his ignorance, he will still pass judgment on our marriage. One seemingly inconsequential moment in my past would be when my girlfriend over 32 years ago once innocently said, Never lie to me. Since then, she said, I love you. At least daily to me over the last 32 years. But on another day, those first four words could outweigh the other three words which she believed were more important. In the context of a remote camera image showing another guy waiting for my wife in our driveway, when she told me she wanted to be alone that weekend, those 11,688 other days she said, I love you. Now become background noise, with the flash of, Never lie to me weighing more heavily in my mind. But I'll indulge my bitch by playing this version of the Trivial Pursuit game in the marriage counselor's office. After all, she swore she wanted to fix things between us. And when she's in the mood she does give amazing blow jobs. Now, I believe the only relevant question which remains is, how do I get her in the mood? Prologue two years ago. As we toured the now vacant house which my wife left when we married over thirty years earlier, she described some of her childhood memories in each of the rooms. She tried to keep it light with stories of opening Christmas or birthday presents during her earlier years, describing the furniture, sleeping out under the stars in the backyard, or reminiscing about family gatherings when she was very young. Absent from those pleasant memories were any mention of her teenage years, after the car accident which killed her brother. Memories from those years were more troubled. Some of those had to come out as she would stop and stare into a room, remembering the people visiting after the funeral. Or she would touch the kitchen counter and pause, thinking of the pill bottles or the 12-year-old girl starting some household chore, trying to get her mother to stop crying. Eventually the teenage girl realized if there was a pill bottle out in the kitchen, she could be in the house cooking and cleaning before her father came home from work. But when the pill bottle was not there, her mother was unmedicated. Jan learned there was no way to stop the crying except to be out of her mother's sight, and she had to find somewhere else, as her quiet space, escaping to the loft of her neighbor's barn. My wife's reminiscing was winding down, and it was soon time to think about departing this house and our old rural hometown for the last time. Did you want to drive by the house where you grew up while we're here? 
Jan asked. There's no need for that, I said. I remember it all as if it was yesterday. They sold that house years ago, when Dad retired, and they bought the RV. Do you know where your parents are now? My brother Dave said he thinks they're in Arizona. Mom and Dad rarely answer their cell phone because they forget to charge the battery. So, we don't expect to hear from them anytime soon. Your mom always cared for you, Jan said. Not like mine who tried to forget me. But I'm surprised they would just up and leave like that. That was just her way, I said. I told you my mom grew up in an orphanage. And when she was old enough, she worked there for a few years, until she married Dad. So, she knew how to raise kids, just like she did in that orphanage. Caring for us was feeding us and seeing that we had clean clothes and went to school. I remember once when my younger brother, Dave, got hurt and went to her crying. She sternly said, Stop your whining and go back outside. That's just who she is. She always thought we should start young learning how hard life can be. And Dad spent most of his time working, so we didn't really connect with him either. I remember when I first met your mom and I reached to hug her. She just stood there, and I thought maybe she didn't like me. It wasn't that she didn't like you. She told me later that you don't hug kids after they're five years old. She just thought you were a little strange. That's why we didn't spend much time visiting my family. I look at other families. Jan said. Like my Aunt June's, my friend Marlene's, and others, and see how normal people were raised. You and I both came from fucked up families. Maybe. I said. But our parents are who they are because of the things that happened to them, too. It's life. You and I just made the right choices with what we had. We do have a great life together, geek. Jan said. Fucked up families, I thought. That's one way of putting it. It's taken me decades to realize how different I am, and why. And to further complicate things, a high IQ apparently comes with a curse of remembering too much. I can read and remember everything, recalling information quickly or immediately seeing patterns in numbers which others struggle to find. I remember everything I see and hear as facts from the past. Things like the childhood bully beating me are indelible events, never to be forgotten. The fact the older kids in my neighborhood pushed me to be a loner, along with all other things, coalesced to turn me into a solitary geek focused on studying everything around me. And I can never forget the pact my girlfriend, now wife, Jan insisted on before we married, never lied to me and give me two weeks notice if you ever want to leave me. At the time, her intent was so she could use me to fuck her brains out to get over a dry spell before finding her next boyfriends. But the never lie to me is now always there. Routines I'll take a moment to explain how much I need my routines. I realized long ago that my ability to remember everything is unusual. Everything I see, read, and hear stays with me, and is available for quick recall. That's why I can pass any test so easily. And it's why they pay me so much for my computer consulting job that I can solve problems far faster than most people because I remember all the details of the systems and how they work. If a system has a problem, all possible components or settings which might cause such a problem spring to mind, and I can quickly find the fault. But with that memory and IQ comes a racing mind. All the things I see, read, and hear have me constantly scrambling for analysis and problem solving. It's a curse of seeing too much to do, trying to fix things around me. And it's why I can never do any kind of drugs. Alcohol at least slows my mind, just a little. So, I offload everything from my mind that I can. I make as much as possible into familiar routines, which then takes no thought or decisions. If I go to any restaurant more than once or twice, I don't bother to read a menu for that evening's choice. I soon learn which food there is at least tolerable, and after that, I always order the same item at that restaurant. My mother wasn't a good cook, so I never appreciated meals anyway as anything more than sustenance. Now I knowingly choose the same meals, just like establishing any other routines, to eliminate as much decision-making stress as possible in my life. And waking in the mornings either alone or with my wife, Jan, were routines I appreciated. Many people can't relate to how I think because their experiences are fleeting memories which fade and change. Every time they go to a restaurant, it's a new culinary experience to be savored. Most people aren't handicapped with excruciating memories of everything. I realized long ago that I'm a borderline mental case but I'm functional enough to hide it, appearing slightly eccentric to most people. The Cheating Lifestyle The decades of raising our own kids found my wife and me, 
like most couples, tired at the end of each day and our sex drives diminishing. Over the course of our kids' final teenage years, our youngest son became independent and finally moved out. As empty nesters, we found ourselves with more time together, and our energy returned. Our sex lives improved, and we were almost back to our old selves. A few years before our youngest left the house, Jan had a health scare and had a hysterectomy. She didn't deal well with the prescribed hormone replacement pills needed after that, the pills reminding her of her mother's shortcomings. So, Jan went to a clinic for slow-release hormone pellets, which were implanted under the skin every three months. It seems the clinic she chose included a different mix of hormones, and not just the minimal ones she needed after that surgery. The new mix included testosterone, which increased her energy level and helped her sleep, but it had other effects. Within six months, she was quick to anger. But she also became as energetic as a horny college girl. I could put up with her bitching because I was enjoying my wife's increased energy and sex drive. With Jan wearing me out, we knew another slightly older couple whose wife appeared to have a similar high sex drive, and I asked her husband how he handled it. How do you two stay so happy, and does her flirting with other guys bother you? They directed us to a swinger website which they use as an aid to reduce sexual boredom with each other, while remaining together as a married couple. They explained how they could enjoy an occasional escape for each of them to satiate their own sex needs at their own pace, but in a way which didn't threaten their marriage. So, we decided to try our hand at becoming swingers, having sex with other couples. Some people call it, wife swapping, but it became more than that. The house parties offered us far more options. Either of us could enjoy multiple partners in the same evening, focus on just watching or socializing, or just playing with one other partner, whatever we each felt like at the time. Jan and I could get what we individually wanted at one of those party evenings but doing so together we agreed that we would stay together at those parties to enjoy watching each other's sexual diversions. And that agreement over leaving our sexual tensions together in this way would keep us together, unless one of us does something else, without our spouse. Losing the bitch. Our something else without the spouse occurred last week. After a week of being moody and bitching, my wife decided she needed a weekend without me tagging along, going to our family vacation house in the mountains. She said she needed some space, without me hovering nearby. But I was concerned for her safety, and I remotely checked the security and wildlife cameras at that house before she arrived that evening. That was when I found her meeting a divorced single guy, we both knew from a swinger party. When I confronted Jan last Sunday upon her return with the facts of her spending that weekend with Roger, I told her she set this new standard between us. It wasn't the fact that she sucked and fucked another guy. As swingers, I've watched her do that many other times at house parties, and I even watched her with Roger her first time at that swinger party two months ago. The new standard was that she didn't tell me she was going to spend the weekend with him, and she tried to hide it from me. She wanted to maintain control over me with her, rules, and her insistence that we would only play with others when we're both together. Now with her attempted deception to get her own private time with Roger, I'm free to do the same, spend a weekend with another woman, without my wife's prior knowledge or approval. So, with her defying our rule to only play with others while together, I did the same. When I left our suburban house Friday evening, Jan grudgingly assumed I was going to meet another woman. She just didn't know who I chose for this weekend away from her. When I woke yesterday morning and again this Sunday morning with Brenda beside me, it felt a little strange. For over thirty years, it was always with Jan beside me, unless one of us was away on a business trip. And I was comfortable with Jan's routines. This not knowing what's next or what to expect with Brenda in the mornings, or what she might want to do during the day gave me the uncomfortable feeling I recognized as stress. So, while the sex was great, the majority of my weekend was spent silently analyzing and planning what to do with her, both hers. I wondered what Jan was doing while I was gone. She assumed I was with another woman. Was she angry? Was she plotting some misguided revenge? That type of one-upmanship would just lead to a downward spiral between us, and we'd never recover. And what do I do with Brenda from hour to hour over the weekend? She doesn't fit into my normal routines at the mountain house, so I must spend time thinking of what to do next with her. My choice of spending this weekend with Brenda wasn't intended as revenge, but to show my wife that there are consequences. She deliberately chose to exclude me from her fun last weekend, leaving me to naively think she was relaxing, alone. This time, she knew I wouldn't be alone. Now, was she keeping her promise this time to spend this weekend alone, like I did, 
as her way of payback to try setting things right between us? These questions and this new situation with Jan and Brenda were stressful changes to my routines, and I don't like it. Then to further complicate my life, my wife was always self-assured and in control. I like that about her, relieving me of those social function decisions. Outside of my work schedule, she made most of the decisions with our life, telling me what we would do and when we would do it. But when I confronted her with the fact that she effectively lied to me by telling me she wanted me to stay home for a sci-fi weekend, while she went without me to the mountain house, she changed things. And I think the confrontation changed something in her. Once she started telling me everything, her confidence dissipated, as if she didn't recognize herself. She had often said, We have a great life together. Now it was as if she was trying to put things back the way she knew it should be between us by asking me more often what I want. She was no longer telling me. This is what we're doing. Jen never says she's sorry for anything, and I wouldn't want her to say she's sorry. That would imply that she knowingly made a bad decision and didn't think. When my wife makes a decision, it's based on what she wants, and she knows that. Her words and actions since finally admitting to her deception were desperately trying to change something in my mind which couldn't be forgotten. Last Sunday, Jan opened up to me with her real feelings and the things on her mind over the previous week, and she was trying to regain my unquestioning trust. But I tried to get across to her that once she deceived me, as they say, that ship sailed. There would always be that event in my mind asking the question, could she be lying to me again? Last week when I said, we're done talking about it. I walked away from her, heading to bed. She later came into bed meekly asking if she could lay her head on my shoulder and she did that every night for the rest of the week. I also noticed her attitude toward me changed, and she wasn't calling me a geek anymore. During this past week, I opened a new bank account and changed my paychecks to deposit them in that personal account, out of her control. I changed my retirement plan at work, freezing the old one and set up a new account to start the regular deposits there. I prepared a spreadsheet listing our accounts and their status, and on Thursday I reviewed our finances with January. My wife was aware of our finances, having her background in accounting and budgeting at work. Actually, she has done most of the budgeting for our household over the past 30 years. But I thought this a good idea to review them together now, so there wouldn't be any questions of the numbers in the future if she decides to divorce me. I told her if she wants a divorce, we'd split everything from our past accounts, but going forward, we'd separate everything we earn. This served to underscore the consequences of her deception. She'll easily extrapolate from those numbers, understanding the difference between our retirement accounts in 10 to 15 years due to my much higher salary. I knew that would be a shock. Seeing Jan so compliant merely nodding acknowledgement of the numbers as I showed them to her was a little disheartening. When my coworkers and others I've known are faced with the consequences of their decisions, I've noticed there are different reactions. Some people get angry and deny that it's their own fault, trying to deflect or place blame on others. A project manager would declare, It's not my fault the project fell behind schedule, because those engineers should have known to do those tasks. Of course, I'd see through their claim, knowing they never scheduled the engineers to do the work. Or a guy might say his wife cheated on him, and he's going to get that other guy failing to acknowledge that it's his own wife who cheated and the other guy was just her tool. Some people pretend to be remorseful and sometimes seem to apologize. A friend of mine said his wife apologized for overspending their budget with a personal purchase, telling him, I'm sorry this hurt you. I didn't bother pointing out to him that she didn't say she was sorry for spending the money, just sorry that he felt that way about it. It sounds like an apology without apologizing. I learned long ago that some couples get along accepting such obfuscations to keep the peace, so I won't enlighten them. I didn't marry a deceptive woman. Jan knows better than to say she's sorry to me. She knows I would see it as her failure to think about it before acting, and she knows I expect her to be able to think. So, whatever she chose to do was something she wanted at that moment, and saying, I'm sorry, wouldn't change that. Jan was just accepting all of this as inevitable. I didn't marry a subservient, trained animal who would drop to her knees on command to suck my cock. I prefer an intelligent woman. I like our routines with my confident and sexy wife. I knew what to expect from her if I asked for sex or a blowjob. She'd either say something like, Well, I'm pouring a glass of Corvoisier which I knew to be her asserting control over the timing, but the blow job would be forthcoming. Or she'd say, I'm not feeling it, so if you can get it up, I'll bend over for you to fuck me from behind. But she changed. The bitch I married seemed to leave this average, 
washcloth of a wife in her place. Now I'm dealing with this insecure woman, and I am having to make more decisions in our daily lives. I need to learn her new changing feelings about herself. I'll need to analyze her new reactions and develop new routines with her. And that's what really irritates me about this. So, when I left for the drive to the mountain house Friday, my wife's spirit seemed broken, merely acknowledging what I was about to do. And she swore she wasn't going out for the weekend and would dutifully stay home alone. Tensions. Returning from the weekend, as usual, my mind raced through the various scenarios I might find when I arrived home. The two-hour drive from the mountain house gave me ample time to think through the alternatives to whatever awaited me. When it comes to dealing with people, this is what I hate about them. I'm trying to proactively solve all potential problems, with the unknown and dynamic variables of human reactions. My wife's changing behavior makes it that much worse, since I'm not sure of her anymore. As I walked into the living room at 9 o'clock this Sunday evening, Jan was sitting in her usual swivel chair next to mine. She had some mindless game show on the TV as a distraction. But I could tell she wasn't paying any attention to it. Her wine glass was almost empty, and the bottle on the kitchen counter was a little more than half full, making that her second glass of wine. How was your weekend? She asked in a cold, monotone voice. Good. I replied cheerfully then asked. What did you do this weekend? I told you I was staying at home. She replied. That's what you said on Friday. But what did you do? I asked, underscoring our communications problem. I poured myself a glass of wine and carried the bottle when I went to the living room to take my seat next to hers. Offering the bottle to her, she held out her glass and I refreshed it. I was alone, if that's what you want to know, she said, with her voice now showing some anger. Who were you with? Brenda. I replied coolly. You invited that slut to our mountain house? Now the anger in her voice was building. You didn't check with me when you invited Roger last week. I told you I didn't want you with that slut. You told me you didn't want to see me with Brenda. You've had a negative opinion of every unmarried woman we've met at the lifestyle meetups and house parties. When I find one attractive, you always find fault with them and say we're never getting together with her. They're either squirters or into BDSM, or they're flirting too much and seem like they're on the prowl. Well, they are. I don't want any woman who squirts playing at our house and sitting on the furniture. And I find women who want to be tied up and beaten disgustingly weak. What about Maggie? She likes to tease Dan and get him to spank her. She goes out of her way to torment him to make him spank her harder. That's different. Maggie's doing that to tease and flirt with him. Bullshit. I exclaimed. Everyone has their reasons for their fetishes. It's in their past. Maggie teasing Dan and daring him to spank her is from something in her past that makes her want it. Maybe her father spanked her, and she defiantly learned to take it. I don't know, but whatever it was, she now enjoys it. And it's your own insecurities coming out, judging some others as deviants. Brenda's a slut, and I don't trust her. And I told you I wasn't going to ask any married woman to spend a weekend alone with me. So, it wouldn't matter which single woman I picked, you hate all of them. Jan glared at me for a few seconds, knowing I was right. She was obviously thinking and preparing her next retort. You need to go for a VD test tomorrow after being with that slut. She then insisted. Brenda said she was tested two weeks ago, which was sooner than others we've played with. I don't care. I'm not touching you until you've been tested. And she set her wine glass down to stand. I'm going to bed. Good night. And she stormed off. By the time I finished my wine and was ready for bed, I found Jan there with her back turned to my side, as if she were already asleep. The next morning and the following days were equally tense. She wasn't talking to me, and we were silently going through our routines at home beside each other. When I received the copy of my VD test results showing I was disease-free, she didn't even say a word. She just turned away from me, pulled down her leggings and panties and bent over the back of the couch, waiting. I decided if that's the way she wants to behave, then so be it. As I went to the ottoman to retrieve the lube, I unzipped my pants and pulled out my cock to start stroking. Jen just stayed bent over the couch until I returned to stand behind her. Squirting a few drops of silicone lube onto the head, I rubbed it around and awkwardly slid my semi-stiff member into her. Grasping her hips, I began thrusting in and out, trying to fuck her in the standing position until I was fully hard. It took another few minutes of thrusting until I felt the build-up and finally shot my load into her. 
I paused, buried deep in my wife's cunt until I felt the last of the cum shot finish, then pulled out and held my hand under the purple head as I walked toward the bathroom to clean off. I left my wife there, bent over with her leggings down, as the cum dripped from her hole and onto her panties. Getting advice. The next days and through that following weekend were a little better, as Jan began to talk a little more. She'd asked me what I wanted to drink, or what we should do for dinner. I even took her out to a nice restaurant for dinner that Saturday evening, and I made it obvious I was paying for dinner with my new personal credit card, making it like a date night. That evening after dinner out, Jan was a little warmer, suggesting we go back home and watch a movie together. The one she picked. On Golden Pond. Was a story of an aging couple with a melancholy ending. And when we went to bed, she again meekly asked for my shoulder. Things seemed to be smoothing out between us. But the next morning, Jan seemed bothered again. She appeared to sleep a little later than usual. At least she came out of the bedroom a little later. When she gave me a cold stare and asked, Have you heard from Brenda since last week? The tone she used at naming her suggested Jan must have laid in bed thinking and working herself into another bad mood. No, I haven't contacted her. I said. Did you at least send her flowers? She asked with a snide tone. I don't recall you getting any flowers from Roger. I calmly pointed out. Then I asked. Or did he send them to your office? Jan just huffed and walked out of the room. So, we were back to not talking again for the next two days. I knew Roger wouldn't send her flowers. We're swingers, and the sex is just that, just sex. I talked to him at that house party, and he's not looking for a relationship, other than occasionally getting laid. He's smart enough to know better than to pursue a married woman for anything more than sex, or he'd be ostracized from the best house parties. And I'd have no issue with Jan. Cleaning his pipe. If she were just honest with me, and still took care of my needs. The only problems between me and my wife are due to her attempt to deceive me for her own pleasure so she could continue controlling me. She tried to manipulate me to maintain her control, and she failed. And I'm the one who now has to deal with these changing routines and, and, her fucking emotions. If she'd just get over the Brenda issue, we might be able to get back to some normalcy. So, I'm waiting to see what's next. Monday was another tense, silent day at dinner without talking to each other. But on Tuesday evening, Jan started quietly talking again. I was talking to Sarah at work today. She started. And I told her you and I were having some issues. Did you tell her how you spent a weekend with Roger? I asked. No. Just that we had problems getting over a difference of opinions. She said shyly. She suggested we get with a marriage counselor she recommended. You know what I think of psychiatrists, psychologists, and counselors. I warned her. Those are the soft sciences, if you can laughably even call it a science. They base their expert opinions on polls of other people's flawed confessions with the researchers' leading questions, with most people saying what they think they should say to answer. Then they remove what they personally think of as outliers and run their statistical analysis on the flawed remains. It's like a doctor asking, how much do you drink? Most people answer, no more than two drinks per day. Because they know if they admit to any more than that the doctor will think they're an alcoholic. The reality of average alcohol consumption is probably higher for those who drink. But Sarah said that he helped her and her husband. Jan replied, not in a demanding tone, but almost sounding like she was looking for hope. I set up an appointment for us on Thursday. Would you go with me to try it? I took a deep breath and let it out in a sigh. While I don't ascribe to those charlatans, Jan seemed sincere in wanting to fix things between us. Okay. I replied. Give me the time and address, and I'll take the morning or afternoon off so we can go there. The warm smile I received from her was well worth an afternoon of enduring a quack's questioning. Therapy Session The countdown was nearing go when the therapist opened his office door and waved us in, within a socially reasonable deviation of the scheduled time. Hello, Jan Ted. He started, as he beckoned us in. After we took our seats in front of his desk, he turned to address me. Jan and I talked briefly on the phone when she called for this appointment. She said there's a problem between the two of you. Would you like to start Ted telling me what you believe the issues are? I don't have any issues with her. She's the one who thinks we might benefit from therapy. Turning toward Jan, he asked. Why do you think the two of you need counseling? He said he doesn't trust me, and he separated our bank accounts to prepare for a divorce. Are you getting ready for a divorce, Ted? 
I'm just planning ahead, after she mentioned it, in case she wants to follow through and file for divorce. Is there a reason he might want to divorce, Jan? He spent a weekend at our mountain house fucking that slut, Brenda. Jan said angrily. Are you having an affair, Ted? No. It's just sex. If you love your wife, you can't have sex with another woman and expect to remain married. That's a statement unsupported by facts. I pointed out, as if trying to convince the Inquisitor of his ignorance. First, my feelings for my wife haven't changed. Second, I did, and I have previously had sex with other women. And third, Jan and I are still married. So, everything you just said is disproven by reality. You admit to having sex with other women? Of course. I said again trying to enlighten the ignorant. We're both swingers. We've done it many times at house parties, and she's watched and even encouraged me. She's just mad that I did it with Brenda, without her along. And that was only after she spent the previous weekend there with Roger. The therapist sat back in his chair, turning his gaze back and forth between us as he thought about it. Then he began. Marriage is about your loving feelings for each other and remaining faithful to each other. When you bring other sex partners into the mix, it complicates things. That's why it's not a good idea to engage in extramarital sex. This time it was Jan who seemed surprised. Just because I had sex with Roger and others doesn't mean I don't love my husband. But Ted might feel betrayed with Roger spending time being intimate with your body. He said. I don't feel betrayed by her having sex with him. I said. That feeling of knowing another man has been with your wife is a feeling of betrayal and would make you angry. He said as if he knew everything. You needed revenge with your weekend with Brenda. I chuckled a little before saying. I watched Jan the first time she fucked Roger. I even handed her a box of tissue to clean up afterwards. And I saw the therapist's eyebrows go up in surprise. I didn't spend a weekend with Brenda for revenge. I did it to ensure Jan understands the new rules between us, which she established. The therapist lowered his head, then looked back at me. When you have sex with another woman, your wife would feel betrayed. And she would resent the other woman, as if that woman took something from her by taking your body with sex. When another man takes your wife's body for his sexual use, that feeling you have toward him is as if he's a thief. He took her from you. That's why some men want revenge against their wife's lover. The lover stole her body from the husband. But that would imply I own my wife's body. I pointed out. That would be like slavery, and it's wrong. What intelligent man believes he owns his wife's body? Ted doesn't own me. Jan interjected. I make my own decisions and choices. He can't tell me who will or won't be allowed to use my body. It's my body, my choice I might ask for his opinions, but the decision is mine. And Roger didn't take Jan's body from me. I pointed out. She decided she wanted a weekend away, so I didn't have her body then anyway. It's senseless for me to want revenge on Roger when Jan's the one who made that decision. And we still had sex after she came back, so what does Roger have to do with it? From what I understand. He began. Jan meeting her lover for that weekend is the reason for you two having these problems. You then set up your weekend with a woman she doesn't like. Well then, you obviously don't understand. I pointed out. The only issue is that she deceived me, and she continued to try keeping it from me after she returned. My weekend with Brenda was intended to demonstrate to my wife that when we don't check with each other and agree on things, then things will be out of her control. Jan turned to me saying, But I told you I didn't want you with Brenda. And you said you don't have any problems with me and Roger spending the weekend together. Once you change the rules with deception. I again tried to explain. You no longer have the right to control who I see or who I have sex with. The therapist interrupted, saying, This is why fidelity in your marriage is important. When you married, you swore a commitment to each other. And that includes, even if just implied with modified vows, that you would remain faithful to each other. That's why marriage is so important, and most couples want to marry. It's a promise to love each other, and love is the main reason most people get married. Fidelity and love aren't the reason most men marry. I replied. In my experience after talking to hundreds of couples over the years, most men get married only because the woman wanted to do it. Most men I've talked to would have been satisfied shacking up forever, as long as she's willing to have sex with him. Then why do you think women want to get married? He asked. They want the financial security and assistance a husband can provide in case of pregnancy. I replied. And I think most women feel better about themselves with a marriage license when they're spending their money on personal care and clothes, 
while the guy pays for their dates. The only reason guys pay for dates and other joint expenses is to continue having sex with their girlfriend and wife. You're making this sound like you think women are prostitutes. He admonished. Not all women. I said dismissively. But many of the women I've met and some I dated before we were married seem to have a narcissistic streak in spending their money buying clothes, makeup, jewelry, and other personal expenses. Then they expect men to pay for dates with them. That seems like a pay-to-play scheme to me. That would make them prostitutes, except for the fact after I pay for a date, many often think playing with them wasn't part of the deal. Do you think Jan exhibits any of those narcissistic characteristics? No. She's always been willing to share expenses and workloads since we first got together. I replied. That's one of the things about her which appealed to me. She would tell me to take her out on a date for a picnic. But she'd provide the picnic food and do most of the packing for it, while I provided a bottle of wine and drove us there. Jan smiled at the memory, adding, We had some great times in the park on that picnic blanket. You even made a secluded spot like that for us at our mountain house. Her expression suddenly changed as she thought about it, and she tensely asked, Did you take Brenda to our picnic spot? Of course not. I tried to assure her. You said long ago, and I agreed when we were looking around our picnic spot, it could never be as good as this with anyone else. So why would I upset our routines there? But you took her to our mountain house. She said again in an accusatory tone. Yes, and you took Roger there too. I reminded her. We fucked others at that house in front of each other. It's just sex. And that's the root of your problem with this situation. The therapist again tried to interject. You can't bring others into your bed for sex without causing tensions. Why not? Jan asked. I wanted to try feeling Roger fucking me again and doing it over and over for the weekend. Why shouldn't I? Because that's not what married people do if they love each other and want to stay married. That doesn't make sense. Jan exclaimed. If it's my body and my choice, then why shouldn't I have sex with whoever I choose? Because that's not how marriages work. He insisted. Once you decided to get married, you chose Ted. And you should remain faithful to him. So if a woman wants to try another guy. Jan looked at him with an incredulous expression. She can't remain married? That doesn't make any sense. Women change their minds all the time, and they remain married. What woman doesn't watch a movie with George Clooney and wonder what he'd be like in bed? And if she had the chance to do it one time, why shouldn't she? I agree. I added, looking at my wife. How many times have we watched a porn movie and I said I'd like to see you taking that guy's cock? That's only because you want me to get over my gag reflex for you. Jan replied dismissively. Fantasies are one thing. The therapist said, sounding a little frustrated. But they should remain fantasies, and not acted out in real life. Why not? I asked surprised. Why shouldn't I give her something she really wants? Don't you ever want to give your wife something she just dreams about to make her happy? That would be rather selfish of you to deny her a fantasy, if you could allow it. But extramarital sex is not allowed in a loving marriage. He insisted, his voice rising a little. Monogamous marriages are part of human nature. That's not true. I countered. There are other cultures where husbands allow and even encourage strangers to have sex with their wives. In small tribal cultures, that's a survival instinct which injects new genetic material to overcome genetic drift in small populations. Your postulate would suggest that those members of small populations are incapable of love. We're not talking about small remote tribes. He went on. You are here, living in this culture where extramarital sex is seen as detrimental. That's not true either. I countered. During the 1960s and 70s, the culture of the United States and many other parts of the world went through a sexual revolution, promoting sex for fun. Consider such popular songs springing up, like Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It? or Love the One You're With by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And what about the numerous sex workers or porn stars? Are they incapable of love and marriage? You would ostracize and alienate a significant percentage of our population with your ideas that love, sex, and marriage are all tied unbreakably together. The therapist sat there, apparently not knowing how to respond. Filling the awkward silence, I went on. In my experience, extramarital sex is only a problem if one or the other of a couple has ego issues, suffers from insecurity, or in some way think they should own their spouse's body. If a guy feels threatened by his wife wanting sex with someone else, he's insecure about his own masculinity. 
So if you can't watch your wife enjoy sex with another guy she wants for a brief fling, that indicates a problem in your own mind. How do you know it's a brief fling? He asked. Perhaps you doubt that Jan still loves you, and she might want him instead. That would be her choice. I replied as if it would be an irrefutable fact. We've always had the pact to never lie to each other and give the other two weeks notice if we want to leave. I wouldn't stop her. Then how can you say you love her if you won't fight for her? He asked. Love works both ways. I pointed out. If she loves someone else more than me and she wants to leave me, then what would I be fighting for? Sloppy seconds of her love? If she can fuck another guy without loving him, I know I still win. But if she decides to leave me for him, then I'd be better off getting over it and moving on. Extramarital sex is just not normal or allowed in our culture, he said sternly. Jan and I were sitting beside each other, both of us seeming to stare at him at the same time as he said that. Then we almost simultaneously looked at each other before turning back to him. I began trying to enlighten him by calmly speaking slowly and enunciating each word. A few years ago, over two million mostly men's names were revealed from the Ashley Madison Cheaters website. In the 1990s, the married U.S. president had a mistress showing up to give him blowjobs in the Oval Office of the White House. With new genetic test methods, many people today are finding they have siblings they never knew existed from extramarital trysts by their fathers, and some people are finding their own siblings don't all have the same father, because of their mother's infidelities. Those are just the tip of the iceberg of extramarital sex which resulted in pregnancies. And do you realize how popular swinger websites have become today? There are several different websites dedicated to swingers with tens of millions of accounts. Then when you add in all of those in gay, lesbian, and other sexual partnerships, these facts seem to contradict your beliefs of what normal sexual relations should be. I can't help you too, he finally admitted. As long as you're insisting I'm continuing extramarital sex. I just smiled as I nodded my head in agreement. And that's what I already knew when I came in here. I turned to my wife saying, Those other kids in high school, the popular ones who dissed us, the bullies and tormentors. Those are the types he sees as normal, and they're the ones who now need counseling. He thinks high school outcasts of our generation like you and I are outliers, not normal. Have you had enough here? He does seem to be overly judgmental and sure of himself. Jan nodded, as if in defeat, adding, At least we tried. Back to not normal. When we were in the car and driving home, the initial silence between us was palpable. I could still feel the tensions of the unknowns. So, I started by asking, Did you enjoy waking up with Roger? Jan sat there thinking for a few seconds before taking a deep breath. Not as much as I thought I might. The fantasy wasn't as good in real life. She paused then continued. That Saturday morning, he woke first, and he didn't know his way around our kitchen. I had to get up to make my own coffee. And you know how I am, before my first cup of coffee. Yeah, you don't talk and can be a real bitch until the caffeine kicks in. Jan smiled at that comment, saying, But I'm your bitch. Anyway, I had to clean up the kitchen and the drinks from the previous night, something you always do before I get up. Then the second morning, he got up early and made the coffee. But he brought the first cup to me in bed. It was a nice gesture, but you know I never drink coffee in the bedroom. I don't think I ever realized how much I like those little things you do for me, making the coffee and cleaning up the dinner stuff before I get up. So, Roger would have potential to be trained if I felt like making the effort. How about you and Brenda? Did you have fun? It was pretty much the same as with you and Roger, not unpleasant, just different. When I got out of bed, she woke and followed me into the kitchen. Then it was a little awkward with her there because I couldn't read the news like I usually do before you get up. And other than when we were fucking, it's like what do I do with her? So, I took her for walks in the woods and down to the dock and out on the lake. When I pulled into the driveway Friday evening, I saw that fireplace would pile the guys dropped off earlier in the week, and it was nagging at me all weekend. You know they always split those logs in a size too big for me to control the fire the way I like. And I've told them to split them smaller. I know. Jan said with a chuckle, then added. I always pay them extra to keep the logs big, to give you something to do. Bitch! I said in a joking tone. You seem much calmer after a few hours of log splitting. She pointed out. And if you didn't like doing it, you'd buy a log splitter instead of doing it by hand using an axe. So, after breakfast Sunday, I continued. I sent Brenda on her way and went to work on that woodpile. After I graduated college that summer, we never really lived together.
You continued living with your parents, and I stayed with mine. What made you so sure we should get married? You could have just moved with me to my new job. I felt comfortable with how you treated me for those five years we dated on and off. And I knew it would continue, with or without that marriage license. Jan admitted. I didn't need you for money or safety or anything else. I could have moved away from my parents any time I wanted on my own. But with as fucked up as my mother was over my brother's death and with me, her own child. I think I just wanted to try having kids of my own, to see if I could do a better job of raising them. So, I was just a sperm donor? And I laughed. That still doesn't answer why marriage. I wanted you because I trusted you. She replied. As for marriage, it's just something I saw that kept my dad hovering over mom, trying to help her, even with her problems. The marriage license gave us your last name, and made us a family. And maybe it was just for the control it gave me over you, and assurance that you'd stay with me. Other than me insisting, why did you agree to marry me? I grew accustomed with how you treated me, and I liked our routines together. And I wanted to make you happy. The kids were a bonus. Jen hesitated for a few seconds before responding. I'll never see Roger again. She said quietly, with a definite assurance that she was over him. I still have no problems with you sucking and fucking Roger again. I assured her. If you want to, as long as you're honest with me, and as long as you're still taking care of my needs, I would be okay with you even spending another weekend with him. But give me two weeks' notice if you want to leave me. It might take longer than two weeks if you ever leave. Jan said sternly. I expect you to document all of your technical junk at the two houses. I don't know how those servers, backups, and other gadgets work. Nothing's free, bitch. If I have to document that stuff, it will cost you daily blowjobs until it's done. We'll see. She replied with a chuckle. Maybe I'll outsource and invite Dan and Maggie, so she can take care of you. She paused and thought before adding. I just want to know you'll be with me ten or twenty years from now, that I can plan trips and our life together, knowing you'll be there. After another brief hesitation, Jan sternly added. But I still don't want you seeing Brenda, again. I shook my head, saying. Hey. You. Set this new standard between us. Then I chuckled before saying as a light-hearted challenge. So, just try to make me want to stop seeing her. My wife's eyes briefly went wide in shock surprise, then narrowed as she glared at me. Her slightly angry expression melted into a mischievous grin. Game on. She said loudly in the teasing, controlling tone I've come to love in her. She opened her mouth, seductively and slowly circling her lips with the tip of her tongue. Then she leaned over to look at my lap and reached to begin tugging the zipper. She looked up at me, as she fished my cock out of my pants, her eyes glistening in lust. I might just take you up on your suggestion of another weekend with Roger. But I'll keep you drained, and you're not going to have anything left for Brenda. She announced in a snarky tone. Then she dove her head down taking me into her mouth. I kept my eyes fixed on the road as I smiled, knowing this was going to be a long, amazing drive. The girl I chose to marry was returning to me. My bitch is back, and she's in the mood. Epilogue after the strange couple left the office through the door to waiting room number two, the therapist leaned his elbows on the desk and put his head in his hands, rubbing his temples trying to relieve the tension. Then he straightened and pressed the intercom button on the phone to his receptionist. Margie. Yes? She answered. Could you call around and check with some of the acting agencies? Try to find out which one sent those two. Then I need to figure out which of those assholes at the psychologist's conference put them up to it. How do you know they were actors? She asked. Nobody's that odd. He insisted. And he seemed to be following some script with all of his memorized statistics. Margie replied. Your next appointment is in waiting room one. Remind me. Who's next? This is Gretchen and Zach. She replied. Oh, yeah. He responded. The former high school cheerleader and captain of the football team. High school sweethearts. How long have they been coming here? The file says two or three times per year for over twenty years. Tell them I'll be with them in about five minutes. And he hit end call on the intercom. Fridge's wife and the husband nagging her for anal sex, he thought. She probably found him with a hooker. Again. If she ever gave in and tried the strap-on, I'd have one less pair of clients. But at least they're normal, or at least I can talk them back into it. Not like that last pair of weirdos. He reached to the center desk drawer, opening it, and withdraw the hand mirror, small straw, 
and small baggie of white powder, thinking a quick pick-me-up before the next session, and I'll be ready again to help the world. The End This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Visit the other channels for more stories with a different focus. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out.